0: Today on the podcast, we're delighted to have Kim Clark Paxtis, board member, interim CXO, and expert on mergers and acquisitions. M&As have been on fire for over a year now during this pandemic. Kim shares with us her experience with successful leaders who've been managing difficult mergers through patience, resiliency, and empathy. You'll learn how clarifying decision-making, specifying roles, Developing systems, but most of all, getting all people on the same page is crucial, not only for newly merged companies, but also vital to Teams Anywhere.
1: Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis on the East Coast, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Mitch Simon on the West Coast. And today we have a very distinguished guest, Kim Clark Pastis. And she is going to be talking to us about her area of expertise, mergers and acquisitions. And she also um, is on the board and governance chairman for the Easter Sales in the greater Washington, D.C. Era area. And um, she was managing director at BDO and managing partner for Strategic Organization Solutions. And she often is guest speaker, panel moderator. Hello, Kim. Welcome.
2: Hey, Jenny. Thank you so much. I really am glad to uh, be with you amidst Mitch today uh, to talk about uh, M&A and this hybrid world. It's exciting oh, time.
1: Fabulous. Thanks so much. So to start off, let's get a little personal. How has this um, affected you? What have you learned? Uh, how are you operating the same or differently, uh, given this whole experience that we all have tried to navigate?
2: And I think it's probably ebbed and slowed every three months from the time we were uh, sent home until uh, today as we're slowly emerging um and I'll say oh, there's been different lessons in each in each era of that. I was actually just uh communicating with someone who I had shared the last night before lockdown, judging a um a cocktail uh contest uh for a <laughs> <laughs>
0: for, for, for a stuff. consulting
2: company, it was a very important stuff. Um, but then just reflecting on how different you know things are, you we would never do that again today, where you're doing mixology. So I think um, my big takeaways are you know patience. I think patience has always been a leadership quality that one maybe I've struggled with, and I've learned uh, the importance of of it. And uh, not only just from my own personal perspective, but how pace and how you come to things and the ability to reflect for reflection um, is really important in all the work that we do personally and professionally. Um, I think that another one I'll say is resilience. I've always said a thought because I um, have moved around a lot, done a lot of many different things, um, personally and professionally as well, that it kind of meant just keep moving and keep pushing. And I think it's really more about To be able to keep moving and pushing and progressing, you have to have that time for rest to be able to build in and sometimes always going forward isn't um, as successful. So resilience, I have a a new definition for and empathy, um, really the idea that every time you uh, walk into a room these days, and especially in a hybrid world, you have no idea, you know, who and what the scenario is of the other people that you're engaging with. And that was true in the before times. Um, and in some ways, I think we might think we know more because we're looking in people's living rooms, but we really don't know what's gone on just that five minutes before. And I think it's so important in everything that we do from a leadership perspective. And um, so those are, those are my takeaways.
1: Wow, that, 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 those are great. Yeah, patience. I, well, I, everything you said, the patience uh, has been a big one for me. Uh, the empathy for sure you know we know even we don't even have anymore the walking down the hallway prep right <laughs> we're just done so right. uh, yeah thanks for sharing that so how has this affected your world of mer- mergers and acquisitions what has happened in the last you know year and a half with 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 that very strategic uh task that folks may or may not yeah.
2: have been accomplishing? So, so I think it it has been buried um, in different markets. It's been varied for different size organizations. It's been buried um, whether you are a strategic or you are in private equity. Uh, the transaction component of the business, you know, pretty much went on a quick stop and then figured out, okay, well, we can do this, um, but differently and continued pretty in certain businesses, it got hot and heavy, and there were more acquisitions in different in certain markets last year than there had been, you know, in prior market years. And that was coming off very, you know, two years of significant um, numbers of acquisitions, both in deal size and in deal numbers. And um, for the strategics, I think they um, they thought a little bit differently about it in terms of how can we really think about what we want to. Bill no. to expand our portfolio and be smart about it and what is this going to do from a strategic implication for the integration and people actually were um putting during that pause time while they may not have stopped all of the transactional getting ready activity with the lawyers and the bankers et etc some of they were using some of the the pause that they were trying to figure out what they were going to do to be very intentional around, are we, is this an asset buy? Is this a um, a, a strategic piece that's gonna be something that's gonna add value to the market? Are is it, are we buying customers? Are we buying um, particular capabilities? And each one of those require a different integration, um, you know, strategy, different timeline, a different approach, and it al- allow people to be, some were thoughtful, um, where historically many times it was a one size fit all ah. um, type of approach. Um, people were, were thinking about it because the world was changed. Yes. Even though some of the things might not have really changed, um, in terms that it gave us a great opportunity to, um, bring leadership, um, you know, theories into the conversation.
1: Wonderful. Um yes, yeah, just as you said then, the reflection was also then being quote unquote imposed on right. what kind of strategic decision is this? Whereas before, think, yeah, they just jump in.
2: Right. And and I think the other thing was, you know, from a from a hybrid perspective, when people said, Okay, we're gonna continue doing business, you know, big things that you know were part of due diligence already around um you know, data privacy and security and information sharing became even a bigger challenge trying to have clean data rooms for people to work remotely to be able to go through those processes. Mm-hmm. So getting the right tools, the right security, the right systems in place to be able to, to do that across multiple platforms.
1: So were there discussions about all right, let's 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 um, acquire this company or let's merge with this one over here, where there are discussions about, oh, wait a minute, our culture is we want um, everyone to be back in their seats in September, but your culture is they're already all uh, working out in space, <laughs> right? <laughs> how, how did that come up, if at all?
2: So I think those are probably tertiary conversations, and I think it's something that's really important as people start to think about, um, you know, what are those different levels of, of conversation around culture, right? Because culture is how people behave, and um, and it's something that I would say quite honestly, a you know a year ago would not have been part of the conversation, and certainly in early scenarios that you know that was a real estate conversation. It wasn't about a culture. Um, It was a cost of doing business conversation. It was a risk management. Yes. It was a, where are we in the market? How are we serving our customers? Those are all important things. But now as you look at, are we coming back as one culture, which comes back to, you know, are we one brand, one set of people doing all things together? Or are we going to create a a company that really has a bunch of different um, ways in which we operate and different brands are going to do different things based on how it is that, um, best serves the market that they're serving. And those were the questions that were starting to happen as to, do we have to be all things to all people, or can we really differentiate our strategies from both cost energies, as well as what are the cultures that each one of these organizations needs to be successful?
1: Just out of curiosity, have you did you deal with a situation where they um, actually flipped somehow, where... Um, uh, well. Now you all have to come in, or now, okay. Let's. Everyone could be working virtually.
2: Um, yeah. So what are I you think, seeing? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I see a lot of companies who had always been, you must, you know, have yourself in a chair, and that's how we count you, that's how we manage you, and maybe some who were starting to try to do things a little bit different. Um, many of them are are quickly going to let's do hybrid. Um, and and need to think about, well, what does that mean? How do we help people do that? Because there certainly are parts of, you know, um, different generations, different types of um, work that, you know, is more easily transitioned to hybrid than others. On the other hand, people have been doing this in many cases, not everybody, because I've worked with some companies that people had to be in the office every day, even though we were, you know, they were essential workers of different types, right? So, so we think about, you know, we think about that different, but it's, I think it's much more now about, What is the work? What is the culture we're trying to to define? And and what is the ultimate goal of bringing these organizations together? Are you really trying to combine and create one culture? And I think that those different decisions make, um, inform how much engagement you're going to have. And I think it is really important for organizations to uh, be very clear on decision-making, right? I mean, I think that's uh, one of the most important things that happens, who's gonna make the decisions when are they going to happen? What do we expect people to contribute to? And what do we expect that we've already made? And what do people expect that we've already made decisions on when we're asking for input so that they actually trust what it is that we're um, yes. asking and we're doing it in the right way? Because there, I will say in this, in, in the experiences that I've had and the way that I like to you know, lead these types of efforts is there is a fair amount of engagement, but we're very, very clear on don't ask anybody something that we either don't care about or we're not going to be able to respond to because that you know der- it really erodes the trust also um, be really clear about the roles and what levels of the organization are going to have responsibility for what pieces of uh, either the influence of the decision or contributing to what we think. So um, space was a, is a really good example of that because there were several times um, during uh, everybody, at least in the areas, um, a couple that I have, were, have been working over this time, you know, have been in places that were more or less, you know, closed down with, you know, certain people coming in and out. And so we did want to get a sense. And there are people who are in New York or people who are in Washington, D.C. or people who are in Seattle, people mm-hmm. in the um, in, um, San Francisco, specifically. They either moved away and were not even in those areas while this was going on and were mm. working someplace else. Or, you know, we're there and we're like, we are not getting on a, on metro. We are not getting on public transportation. We're not interested in this until we have a better understanding of what's going to happen, and especially then when you think about what was going on in this summer in the cities yes. last summer, that added additional complexity, um, and people were asking a lot of questions. So not only last year were we dealing with you know a shutdown, but we're also dealing with some some social questions um, that I think were also people were asking about engagement. I mean, there was a lot of real. Um, Interest from leadership on who are we going to be going forward, and again that empathy, that reflection, that thinking about you know what is the culture we're trying to create um, provided the opportunity for specific questions. Um, and again, you, at the you right give, levels,
0: <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Can you give us an example of um, the company that you work with and what they what they struggled with and what they actually decided was the culture that they, were, they were going to come up with?
2: Yeah, I think that's great. So um, I worked with a, a couple of government contractors who in, in general, you know, think that they're pretty much the same or very mission driven, right? Mission driven is what you hear. I'm like, okay, so what does mission driven mean? It's not just do what your customer wants. It's mission driven. You want to serve, you know, and so some people it's, you know, we're the war fighter, or we're helping the health, you know, we're we're helping provide Specifically for you know the healthcare community. So in two examples, I can say you know we were like, so what does that mean to really service that that group? And you've got technology people, you have researchers, you have you know um, service providers, you have policy people, you have all of these different types of employees who do very different pieces of work to support those types of businesses and support those those missions of the government that are so important. So what is it? And so in in many cases. The example came down to if the acquirer, I also say, from this part, I work with um, strategic acquirers, our private equity firms who are pretty clear on what that platform is that they're building. So there's not a lot of shaping, but it's what do we wanna make sure that we don't lose in the process of the values that we've said? How are we making sure that if we think that we bought a, a company that has shared values, everybody seems to think that they do because they looked at the piece of paper and they say the same words, So what is the exercise that we go through? And so we actually do um, spend time going through what do the words mean Um, when you say this word is your value. And and we find frequently things like trust, things like respect, they have different values. They they mean slightly different things or the behaviors are different. Accountability is specifically one. Um, And I would say accountability is the one that I've heard, especially over the last year, people getting really clear on what they mean by that. Um, and also um, something that's not uh, in your value statements, but something that is um, was very important is the pace at which people are going to work, especially when you are bringing um, smaller companies into larger companies, really rationalizing, you know, how are you going to do the things that you need to do to keep that small company Successful at the pace it needs to go, at the technological advancements it needs to do, while you're bringing it into what they feel is a behemoth of an organization.
0: Oh yeah. Could you you give us an example of a company that you brought together, and what were the issues on um, on you know going faster versus going slower, and and how it impacted the people on the ground?
2: Yeah. Um, So specifically, um, there was a lot of you know. $500 $500 million, um, large, very respected organization that had been in business for a long time. And it had very specific ways in which it did things. And it acquired three different companies of very different sizes. Um, one significant of over $100 million and another two, two smaller ones, um, who were all very used to, um, moving fast, saying, you know, apologizing and, and moving on um they didn't have um their systems were were good um but they certainly weren't as rigorous and didn't um look at risk in the same way as the other company did right. um and so there were a lot of questions around um who gets to make decisions so i would say the, the distribution of decision making and the dollar amount of decision making and even just the um can i decide to buy something you know for my team were kinds of questions that came up um frequently um, in the consolidation of that especially in two of the acquisitions had a lot of international um activity. And so there was a bringing a lot of risk into the organization, especially you know, at the, at, um during the time we're talking about, um, that uh made people nervous and the uh, you know the, uh, the the company that's being acquired was very concerned. Um, about, you know, we just need to be able to get out there and go. And so we finally set, came up with a set of rules and a structure and protocols that um, that worked for both sides. But you know, it, was, it was painful.
1: How, well, how did it, yeah, how did that, were people brought into a room? Oh, were, yeah.
2: So no. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Love it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, basically there were, because, because a lot of these things were happening on the ground where an issue would happen, it would get, you know, elevated to a leader. Many people worked, you know, like I said, it's very small organizations, people-wise. And um, so things would happen and it would get reported. And then at the integration meetings, these types of issues would surface and we would then um, determine who is going to be the right person to functionally take those and and make some decisions around them, and then um, get that back out. So we had a very disciplined approach for how issues would be raised, how they would be handled, um, but always with a lens towards um, making sure that people weren't just told, oh, we're not going to do it this way, but an understanding of um, why something might need to be um, thought about differently than just do it the old way.
1: So it sounded, well, I heard two things. I heard integration meeting. Yes. So so evidently there, I, I would imagine there are several of these going on, right? For different systems that are.
2: Right. So right. there was an overall integration strategy that had many different players. And in fact, um, you know, typically the way that works is uh, you've got a, a key player from each of the strategic work streams of the company, one from each side of the acquisition, who is participating um, and representing the the mindsets of the two companies and are managing those risks across the board. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then it sounds like, and you keep repeating this, so I see that it, uh, and and I'm I'm repeating it because I see it having a big role also, when you look at no, there's no acquisition or anything, just a company trying to implement virtual and hybrid. Right. Almost needing the same kinds of things, an integration meeting. Uh, but, but what you keep stressing is the ownership of the decision
2: making right.
1: seems to be so crucial. Then the kind still have inclusion in that. But who do we go to for that seems to be
2: uh, a very important piece that people need. I think so. I think one of the very first things that I start to think about when you put in place a governance structure of any type is, you know, whether you're going to go so detailed as to put a RACI diagram in place, which identifies exactly what the roles are. You know, my experience says that role clarity is the most important thing, you know, in any type of change activity, because you're, you're going through a process where people are doing something they're stopping doing what they were doing and they're having to start doing something yeah, else. Right, right now they're still doing whatever they were doing right? So these, right there's a change happening on top of these other things that are happening and it's just really important i think to to think about that um and i think it's important for that governance um structure To have a set of shared to have a shared vision of the ceo to really understand i mean that's the one job of the ceo is to say here's where we're going and this is why we bought this thing and then the organization works to make sure that it is shared and that the language is created to adopt that going forward and then there's a decision structure that says what are the decisions that are up for grabs for the people in the organization, what are the things that we've already decided and where do we want your help? And I think, um, you know, in the ones that we did over the, the last year, you know, the, the big challenge was being really clear. We, we need to take some time to understand what is happening and what's the goodness of the acquisition that we don't want to lose. And we need to do this in a different way than we might have done it before, especially if we're talking about something that's going to be market changing. And so, being able to create teams and using tools, and specifically, you know, collaboration tools and you know, document sharing tools, that people can feel comfortable, you know, really talking about things that are important to the people they don't know.
1: And almost, you know, it it can become this perfect storm. Hey, virtual, hybrid, two new leaders, one new leader, these new teams. And by the way, on top of that, there's mergers and acquisitions that it it's it actually can come together in an elegant way to build off of the synergy, the leverage off of this. Hey, and we're also going hybrid. And this is. I just sort of think it's that's that uh, implementing those tools um, becomes a very uh, energetic discussion now. Oh wait a minute! I'm home now, or, or I am going to become into an office, but it's a totally different office, etc. Um, one last question around how you mentioned, well, two things you mentioned coming up with a common language. So how do you socialize that? I mean, how do how does everyone in this organization start? working around the common language. And then two, you may, you said something um, as you take it down. Um, when Mitch raised the question, you take it down to everyday work. People are asking a lot more questions about, but yes, but what does this mean for me? What's the engagement? You said you're finding more of that now. And we're finding that's a trend um, around the voice of the people, <laughs> Um, What can you share around
2: those last two themes? Yeah, I think um, I'll I'll start with the voice of the people because I think that um, is so important. And I know that, you know, one of the things that I've always found helpful is to take a pulse and not something that is so complicated that it takes a lot of time. And again, not something that's going to stir up additional questions or concerns. But a simple way to get a sense of where how people are feeling, um, what's on their mind, what is keeping them from paying attention to the work they should be doing, and what is um you know and what could what else could be done to make the transition easy for them? And really three to five questions and do that every six to eight weeks. Um, it's really important to help and that you can do that for whatever kind of transition. But specifically, I think with mergers and acquisitions, it's really important and be testing people along the way. Do you Very know what good. your role is in this new environment?
1: Yep. Yep. Excellent. Well, I really was looking forward to this, uh, especially uh, that that piece where I see it, it's sort of all coming together in, in um, a perfect storm, needing to, to borrow um, some of this new energy that's happening because of the new cultures and to something that we keep doing, we're doing strategy, we're doing mergers, we're doing acquisitions. How might that all come together? And, and you brought that to life for us. So how can people get in touch with you?
2: So you can find me on LinkedIn at Kim Clark Paxtis, or you can find me at Kim Clark and that's dot com. <laughs>
1: Fabulous, and um, we of course will be posting all of this, as our listeners know, so they can um, see that right on the screen. Listen a little from tidbits of from this, and also go to um, the accompanying article that will be attached to your podcasts. Um, Mitch, uh,
0: well, thank you, thank you, Kim, and thank you, Ginny, and uh, this has been a delightful conversation to uh, understand how to uh, integrate two companies through mergers and acquisitions with some great additional tools on how to do it when you're not even uh, integrating or, or merging and acquiring. So we learned a lot today. So thank you uh, to Kim. Thank you to Jenny. Again, thank you to our listeners. If you've loved this podcast, please share it out with uh, your friends and colleagues. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of Team Anywhere.